after just a, the smallest amount of research, I have found that there are approximately 820,000 podcasts out there. And that encompasses about 28 million episodes. And yes, we are going to be adding to that, or I'm going to be adding to that by one. Uh, this is Orange Sneakers Presents, and this is my very first podcast. The thing I have chosen to talk about first is psychedelics. And what are psychedelics for the laymen or laywomen out there? Uh, that would be things like LSD or acid you might have heard about. Uh, psilocybin mushrooms, which go by the name magic mushrooms, or what some people say, shrooms, which is a horrible word. There's mescaline, which is found in peyote. And then there's something called DMT, and I'm going to see if I can pronounce this right. It's dimethyltryptamine. And it's also considered, or it goes by the nickname Smoking the Toad, which I think is one of the best names for just about any kind of drug you can imagine. And for anybody who has done DMT, and I am not one of those, but uh, I am willing to try. Um, it's described by some as it feels like you're dying when you take it, which does not on its surface sound like a wonderful thing to do, but uh, the Buddhists believe that there is a good way to die, and maybe this is some way of practicing that death, and uh, I'll get into that stuff later. But um, I'm going to be talking about psychedelics, uh, which are starting to kind of move into... I wouldn't say the mainstream, but they're beginning to be uh, considered and discussed uh, more than they have in, in probably 30 or 40 or maybe even 50 years since Huxley uh, wrote about them in, uh, in the book, uh, what is it? The Doors of Perception, which he wrote in 1954, and that was a book, um, a short book. It doesn't take a lot of time to read it, but it, he describes his experience with peyote or mescaline, and if you know anything about Huxley, the guy's an amazing writer, and so to try to dive into a mystical experience like a psychedelic trip, I think there's probably no better person to do that. Uh, there's also a new book out, and that's really what got this started, and it's uh, by Michael Pollan, who wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma, and it's called How to Change Your Mind, and it was a fascinating and very well-written book, in my opinion, and uh, Michael Pollan is a journalist, I guess first and foremost, and so he approached it like a journalist would, and he uh, so he experimented with a lot of these things, and he did it with uh, knowledgeable guides, which I'm going to talk about soon, is if you are going to go on a psychedelic trip, uh, it's probably, not probably, it's uh, definitely helpful nowadays to do it with a some kind of a guide who knows what they're doing. The reason I say that is I have taken uh, psychedelics back in the good old days uh, during college uh, and sometime after that, but... Uh, it was purely for recreational reasons. 
and I'm going to get into the difference between a recreational trip versus some kind of a spiritual or maybe even a therapeutic trip uh, in a minute. But uh, let's back up and talk about what psychedelics are. I gave you the list of what they are. Uh, LSD, I guess, would be considered a synthesized uh, or, or, or a chemical that has been found in the lab. And um, whereas mushrooms and peyote uh, and DMT would be considered uh, occurring naturally in their uh, in the plant and uh, but scientists have figured out how to synthesize that those uh, things like psilocybin or and I'm not sure if I'm saying this right cybin or I, I think psilocybin uh, is able to they're able to synthesize it in the lab and so they're now starting to find ways um, to use psychedelics to treat some things like depression or addictions uh, or the anxieties people feel about dying and uh, and or just using them to for some kind of spiritual transit uh, sense transcendence and trying to open up your mind but uh, Let's get at what an ethneogen is. That is the word uh, for these chemicals. And an ethneogen or ethneogenic is uh, is God-releasing chemicals, which I find to be pretty cool. And uh, for me, that might even mean something like uh, music. And music is, a, is an important part of the setting you might want to uh, consider when you are going on a psychedelic trip. Um and the reason I say music uh, for me is I tell this story quite a bit. Uh, when I went to see the Allman Brothers years ago with uh, Dickie Betts, uh, who had come and gone from the band for various reasons, uh, somebody asked me how the concert was, and I was kind of blown away, and uh, I responded that I saw God there. And uh, it's probably not too far of a stretch. I had the best time of my life just dancing and letting it all hang out. But an ethneogen, it's a class of psychoactive substances that induce a kind of spiritual experience. And that experience might be aimed at the development or it might be used for or sacred reasons uh, and some kind of ritual. And that would be, I guess contrasted with the recreational use of the drugs, which uh, back when I did it was purely for recreational reasons. And um, I don't want to discount that. Uh, when you're young and, and kind of fearless, uh, perhaps I was taking it for reasons I wasn't particularly aware of, but I know for a fact that when I did do them, I wanted to uh, experience whatever it is that uh, was offered up. And um, as I said, there's kind of a, a, a well-established anthropological or modern context for the use of these things, um, these, uh, these ethnogens. Uh, and that's if, whether it's a religious setting or a shamanic uh, a setting or some kind of spiritual significance uh, that people are looking for. Native Americans, obviously, uh, in the jungles of Peru, um, a lot of uh, kind of indigenous populations have used this. But there's other ways of finding, you know, opening up your consciousness uh, rather than just through drugs it can be through meditation yoga sensory deprivation uh, asceticism which I guess is kind of a, 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 a severe form of kind of letting getting rid of everything uh, all the baggage of life whether it's stuff or relationships or whatever uh, prayer trance rituals chanting um, 
There are peyote songs, which I'd love to find out uh, about. Drumming, uh, I guess, does this. And so there was a big movement in the 60s with all the hippies um, tripping on psychedelics. There was psychedelic art and, of course, psychedelic music, the Jefferson Airplane, the Grateful Dead. Uh, When I have taken it, uh, I I, I remember a couple of times. One, I took LSD uh, at a Grateful Dead concert, which, you know, almost feels like a cliche, but it had to be done. And as a result, I don't remember much about the concert, but I'm sure I had a great time. Uh, I think I remember it was snowing at the time. uh, uh, mushrooms. The first time I ever took mushrooms was with a bunch of other people who it was their first time as well. And all I remember about the experience is what is that we all laughed the whole time. I mean, for hours. And, you know, those endorphins just pouring through your system. And, uh, you know, at, 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 at the time, you're just laughing so much that it really it results in tears, which if anybody knows anything about my family, my mother, my sister, people, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna get, we giggle to the point where you start to cry. And uh, it's one of my best memories about my mother who passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, but I'll never forget when we're taking the when we're taking these when you take mushrooms first of all they taste disgusting they're just absolutely horrible it's a dried mushroom that grows in you know paddy cow fields or uh, various fields and um oh, they they're dried and they just, but they just taste disgusting and they've got kind of a bluish tint and from what I understand the bluish tint is that is the psilocybin that is the psychoactive substance uh but you have to kind of gag these down literally and you try to eat them with pizza or whatever but they're real chewy so you just can't get any other way but you just got to eat them and then when you eat them you're going through this period of waiting and I found that when you do take them you want everybody to be taking them for us there was one guy who didn't take them and he was the one who provided he's the one who provided the mushrooms and also provided the uh the weed that you'd smoke to kind of get everything started. And, uh, and when we, you know, we, when we started to feel it, uh, we went up and thanked him and he says, don't thank me, thank the candy man, which I love that line. And I'm going to use that for the rest of my life. But, uh, and then you go off on, you know, it lasts anywhere from three to five to six hours. Uh, and you're just off on this kind of this, for some, it's a, uh, it kind of goes in waves. One, you're having an amazing time, and then you're kind of struck by some kind of fear or terror, which doesn't sound great. But the, the, the terror that you're feeling, I think, is, is the ego's way of saying, hey, uh, I really don't want you to learn too much about yourself here. And so the ego puts up all kinds of uh, blocks to stop you from doing that. But there's another book that uh, I read about the subject. It's called The Psychedelic Experience, and it's written by Timothy Leary uh, and Richard Alpert, who became Ram Das, who just passed away recently, and also Ralph Metzner, who I do not know. Uh, but if anybody knows Timothy Leary's uh, story, he was... Uh, a Harvard professor who eventually got into all kinds of trouble for uh, turning students on to this uh, to uh, psychedelics, and uh, he got got lived an amazing life, in my opinion. He, once he once he I guess his research said that he could only experiment on graduate students and that eventually turned into everybody undergraduate students as well and that got him in all kinds of trouble but I think he's the one who came in came up with the tune in turn out tune in tune out 
dropout, something like that. And, um, and then there was the Merry Pranksters, Ken Kesey and all those guys. Ken Kesey wrote One Floor Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and they kind of went out on the magic bus and was uh, immortalized by Tom Wolfe in the book The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. But, uh, you know, like anything, in our, in our, in our society, there seems to be a, a block that the man puts up whenever you want to try to get closer to yourself or to to find out who you are. And so, you know, like for years, um, there's always been a prohibition against, uh, certainly against marijuana. I think that started in the twenties or the thirties when a lot of the, uh, black set jazz singers, uh, started to write and sing about, uh, smoking reefer and that's when the reefer madness craze kicked in and the, the man started to come up with ways of making it illegal or stopping people from doing it and then of course good old Nixon and the war on drugs kicked in and so all these things like marijuana and uh, psychedelics were put I guess on schedule one which made them illegal and so everything kind of shut down in the 70s and, and 80s and 90s. And these things were just, they, they still are illegal. Uh, but there seemed to be a way of uh, uh, the government, or I think it's, I guess I would call the government, uh, wanted to stop it. And, uh, and now there's starting to be a shift. And I think it's, a, it's taking place towards the attitudes of these substances. And I think a lot of that is due to the states out there uh, pushing for both medical marijuana and also recreational use marijuana, which is growing quite a bit, except for here in the southeast. It's still completely illegal. And um, not even medical marijuana in Georgia. But... Uh, so there's starting to a shift is taking place and some of the research is starting to get shaken loose. So some of the money for research is starting to get shaken loose. Uh, Johns Hopkins was big on uh, doing a lot of the studies. And now there's, I guess, a new study from a group called Compass Pathways who are now uh, uh, looking at doing uh, trials on using psychedelics to treat depression and I'll get into later maybe even another podcast as to why why these would be used for depression but uh, there's a question here uh, whether or not you know psychedelics are medicine and with medical expectations you're you're, you're looking for symptoms to, to treat and uh, maybe that's the way to go maybe it's not <clears throat> excuse me um but I always used to, uh, I, I, it's funny, a friend of mine that was always was always smoking pot would always say he needed his medicine. And of course, it was a joke, but was it? Uh, maybe there are ways. Uh, I think uh, if, if more people smoked it, they would probably be a lot more relaxed. And there's, there's very few instances of somebody um, getting uh, overdosing uh, almost no instances of people overdosing on on marijuana and uh and and there the, the the science even shows that you don't you can't overdose on psychedelics as well uh it just it's it goes through your body and it, it's synthesized in a different way and that's contrast with things like alcohol which are uh you know maybe those that's an entheogenic uh, chemical as well but um I mean, we all know of, of really bad things happening with alcohol. And so uh, it's amazing that it is, uh, it is legal and completely normal in our society, although there's evidence everywhere that it is a problem. Um, but 
I think, you know, I asked, I said earlier, what are the differences in psychedelics in, in medicine versus recreational use? And I think that comes down to expectations. Uh, with medical, in, in medical use, you're coming to the substance with some kind of symptom that needs to be treated, whether it's de depression or anxiety. And if anybody knows me, anxiety, I don't know if I've ever really experience pure panic, but I'm a worrier and anxiety is something that I would love to get a handle on here uh, because that, that feeling of worry is just uh, it's horrible. And so anyone who ever has had panic attacks, I, I get it. Um, but this, this book, The Psychedelic Experience that I was talking about, this based on the kind of, it's, it's a manual on how to do this stuff. Um, that's uh, based on the manual uh, the, or the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And so there's, there's cycles that you go through when you're taking this, and it, it, it gets with kind of how to do it and how to manage the cycles. And, and what you're trying to do in a therapeutic setting with, with psychedelics is you're trying to consolidate all the insight that you come across while you're, uh, while you're on, these, on these substances. And you, there's all kinds of insight and there's all kinds of ways of viewing the world. Your perspective changes when you're doing it. And it's those perspectives that you want to you want them to be long lasting. You don't want it to end when the when the when the, the drug wears off. And you know, so in the therapeutic setting, the question is, and I've got a friend who is I, I guess certified to uh, use or at least uh, talk about the use of psychedelics and things like meditation and yoga, and how to what you do to consolidate those those uh, insights and gains and understandings and how do you walk away with those things uh, you know as part of your your, your your new perspective on life which is really you know we're all we're all after we all talk about change but let's face it we don't really do it and what does change means well it's really a change in your perspective so this is what uh, in the psychedelic experience Timothy Leary's book they kind of talk about what it is how you should go about going through a session they call it and um, what I, I like the word, it's an ethnogenic exp exploration that you're going through. And there's a way to do it that's a lot different than the way we did it when we were younger, which was, you know, you just pop them into your mouth and you all sit around and stare at each other and you giggle. And then there's always the one guy in the corner who just can't handle it. He's racked by terror and he's kind of harshing everybody's buzz because he's just a mess and all the people have to comfort them. Oh, come on. It's going to be all right. And you're like, fuck that. I'm off. Uh, good luck is what you're saying uh, to yourself and maybe even to them. But, uh, I took them a few times for recreational reasons, and I'm quite interested in taking them again, but perhaps for therapeutic reasons or maybe for more of a spiritual uh, transcendence. And again, for anybody who knows me, I'm 55 years old. I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. And the idea of, at least in my town and amongst my people and in in the, the culture of which I was, uh, I was enmeshed, that was uh, the idea of a spiritual uh, experience was just completely not even on the radar. Uh, it's not that it was foreign. It just wasn't even considered. And I think that's a big difference between growing up in upstate New York in the 70s, 80s versus growing up in California and Berkeley and San Francisco in the 70s and 80s where there was just a long tradition of this kind of stuff going on, not for us in New York. And uh, But um, 
so there's there's ways of taking them. Michael Pollan's book, uh, it, it's a really really good book uh, where it, it 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 talks kind of how Huxley talks in the Doors of Perception, but from a journalistic standpoint. So he really looks at the science. He talks with guides, most of them in California, some of them out of the country, who, you know, he went through taking uh, mushrooms, he went through taking an acid, uh, I don't know if he did mescaline, I don't remember, um, and then the DMT. And so he, he very kind of rationally and calmly goes through this experience, and he also has the ability to write about it. And uh, in a nutshell... What he is saying is that, you know, and I even before I read the book, this is how I explain to people. Um, and it, it, for anybody who knows me, I, I love to talk about things I know nothing about. But this is, I think I'm close to what the, the benefits of these things are, or at least uh, giving you the characteristics of it and why it's important, why it should be considered for almost anybody. Um, but the... There's this kind of idea that our brain, not as idea, it's a, it's a truism, that we are, we're kind of like living through mathematical probabilities. And our, we're, we, we try to do the, the least amount of, or we try to allow the least amount of information into our consciousness or into our brains um, because we're kind of like efficiency, efficiency machines. We just, uh, you know, it's like a shorthand for everything. We just don't, we can't manage all the complexity that's out there. All the inputs are pouring in. We start to filter a lot of those out. And it's filtering that out is, is kind of an efficiency process of the brain. And what we use to filter a lot of this out is our ego. Um, Freud called the ego the true seat of anxiety and, and that fear lurks deep in every ego and this fear is only kind of precariously controlled by this by demand of our unconscious forces uh, and eventually it just bursts out in full strength and that might be depression um, anxieties what have you and those depression and anxieties, in my mind, become kind of like a habit of mind. And if you looked at your brain under some kind of MRI, you would see that on somebody who's depressed or in a depressed state, it's kind of the same firing over and over in the same regions of the brain are firing over and over. And on psychedelics, if you put it under, under a, an MRI, you see that the whole brain is lit up. And it, what it's suggesting is that your your ego is a sense being either being freed or being in sense is a sense suspended in some way. And you know, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but um, th there's that question that, Oh my God, if we don't have an ego, if there's no sense of self, then what am I or who am I? Uh, am I just going to spin off in all kinds of directions? And uh, some say that, you know, that, that complete lack of self is kind of the negative side of what you see with schizophrenics. So um, when you're kind of starting to examine yourself and the ego, the Buddhists are big on this, of course, and uh, in, 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 in meditation, in a sense, you're trying, not, I wouldn't say suppressing your ego, but you're trying to still your mind in a way that all that chattering that goes on definitely goes on with me, that monkey mind where it's just lots of incomplete sentences firing away all day long all that rumination for me is i i think it's on the verge of of kind of being neurotic uh, maybe it's full neurotic i don't know i'm i'm self-diagnosing here but um the ego and your sense of self it doesn't give up 
it's it's you know it's power without some kind of a struggle and that struggle can be fearful to some probably to me probably to all of us um but and just think how much we are dedicated to our worldview, uh, our our perspectives. A lot of this stuff is just completely entrenched, and we ain't giving it up without a, without a fight. So it, I think when you're approaching psychedelics from a therapeutic standpoint, or from a more controlled or and maybe a, a more mystical experience. It starts with your preparation. You know, what am I ready? To, what am I about to do here? And how am I going to manage this through the process? The guide helps you kind of talk about to you. And there's not a lot of talking that should go on here. But what are you seeing? How are you seeing it? You know, what are your what are your perceptions through this? And in Huxley's, it's uh, just beautifully written how he sees, you know, just looking at the tables of a uh, the legs of a table and he sees them in just this pure bare existence and he finds that incredibly beautiful and uh you know kind of stripped of all of its baggage it's not that it's a pretty table or it's a cool table it's just a table and it's uh, what he calls the isness of it but um Again, while in, when we're kind of walking around through our normal existence, we have what's called the default mode network, which is this part of our, 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 our consciousness where everything, is, everything that we experience is being cycled through our consciousness. And our default mode network, uh, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist or in any way experienced in this, but as I understand it in layman's terms, it's this default network that's where we're kind of in most of our days, which is as we meet people, we're processing through it through our default network, all of our habits, uh, all those kinds of things are going through this. But the psychedelics and meditation, I guess, would do this well, uh, does this. Uh, breath work, where you're almost trying to get yourself to hyperventilate. Um, it suspends that that default mode network and maybe even helps it dissolve. Uh, and that dissolve, uh, the, what is dissolving is that sense of self or ego. And the ego is, or the this network kind of, as I said, it, it operates as a kind of filter. And it only lets in what Huxley calls a measly trickle of information uh, that's required to get us through the day. And again, why the question is, why is that so? And it's because it's, it comes down to efficiency. It's just the best way to do it. We can't, everything we can't, oh my God, why did that car just drive by? How does that car operate? Boy, I like the pretty color. Uh, you know, geez, I wonder if it's going to come my way. You know, we just don't do any of those things. And when we meet somebody, we're instantly forming opinions of them. We like them, we don't like them, we're indifferent to them. Uh, that's all through the default network. And while you're under these uh, psychedelic substances, that gets suspended. And so you're able to see in a different way. Um, if anybody has taken these before, they understand. You know, we all talked about how our hands look different when they're moving across this. Our, our, our vision, our sight. Uh, the trees look different, and they're blowing. Colors appear different. Sounds, you feel sounds. You smell them. Um, everything is just. It's a different perspective, and. Um, I think this is all a good thing. Uh, as I said, my degree was in math, and uh, I, I think what creates a, a lot of struggles for me is I, I predictably see a lot of things through a rational 
uh, abstract uh, lens and in some instances that's great and in others it's just it's it's too restrictive uh, it ignores all the kind of the metaphysical things out in the world and out in the cosmos and not ignores it but it's just not part of the calculation but it's like a modern fixation on abstract quantifiable rational modes of thought and it, it leads to kind of a profoundly alienating feeling uh, both of ourselves and our fellow travelers i mean we I, I'm just flummoxed at, oftentimes at people, and I'm sure they think the same thing about me. Although it's hard to it's hard hard to grasp that anyone thinks anything negative about me. I'm just such a wonderful, smart, funny guy, and handsome too. In case anybody's actually seen me, um, but you know that alienation is kind of a gate. It's a or these this this modern fixation on 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 the abstract. It's kind of a Western thing, right? Uh, which is or European, which is this either or mindset versus a both and mindset. And in the in the West, we love clarity and unambiguity, and in the East, it's 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 a different mindset. Doesn't mean one's better than the other, but if you go too far in one direction or the other, you're going to have some problems. And uh, like the Buddha says, follow the middle way. That's the way to peace. Um, but our, our, our predict, our kind of our brains are prediction machines and they're optimized by these experiences that we have. And so to kind of lift that veil a little bit, uh, if not a lot of it, um, it's, it, it can result in some, some really major kind of transformations. It's those transformations you want to hold on to after you, after it all wears off. You know, if you see this world and you see beauty and truth and you, you, the bare isness of things start to become, you, know, you get a sense of what it means to be enlightened, I think. Uh, just a sense, not actually being enlightened, but uh, to get a sense of what, what is possible out there. And when you lift the veils of your, uh, or you lift that crust that's built over our, our existence, um, or our, which are our habits or whatever, if you kind of pull those away, uh, your mind just really expands I think and that expansion is what is what I'm after I think especially at this time it wasn't I'm sure when I was a kid it was more of just pure experience you were after and you just wanted to see what it was like and uh, again keep going back to the Buddha um, you know he's like don't believe anything until you experience it so uh, everything I'm telling you if you've never done these it's going to be hard for you to kind of get a grasp at what I mean but if you're at that point where you really are just tired sometimes of who you are and who you've become um doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Doesn't mean you're, you're you're a crappy person. But we all have habits that we're you know when we're quiet by ourselves, we are running through those habits and our you know a lot of that self talk we talked about the monkey mind. A lot of that is negative. Let's face it, we're mostly kind of chastising ourselves or trying to bump our buck ourselves up to get out there and do it. But the uh, I'm going to get into a little bit more later. But the this this shift is taking place means that if you did want to try them, um, yes, you might have to do a little. Uh, you might have to break the rules a little bit to to do it. But uh, if you're kind of a psychonaut and you're interested in seeing finding out what your own mind is is capable of doing, and how you're able to kind of grow as a human being and transcend all the the crap that's out there, uh, 
this might be the way to do it. And as I said, there's a set and there's a setting that's important. So uh, a quick story, I did try mushrooms maybe about eight or nine years ago. And I did it with a friend and we did it on New Year's Eve. And I was nervous about doing it because it had been a long time if I'd done it. And I, I very, I definitely remember about taking them is that it, it, there's a huge potential for your stomach to get real upset. It just, it's, it's not pleasant at all. Um, and I don't know what that means. If it's just your body's having difficulty processing it, if your ego's saying, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not ready for this. Um, so let's think about getting you sick so we don't have to go where uh, I'm afraid you're going to go. Um, but we took them on New Year's Eve, and I had this friend of mine, he liked to do them in kind of big settings with, you know, sporting events, what have you. And I definitely remember that whenever I had done them in the past, you wanted to do them with just a small group of people or you wanted to do them where everybody's doing it because that one person could always, you just, I couldn't look anybody in the eye and just, it's just, it, it wasn't the right setting without a doubt for me. Some people it was. We go to go see a, a friend who's playing in a band on New Year's Eve, and we drive there. We take the we take the mushrooms, get in the car, and drive there, and which is about a forty five minute drive. And right when we get there, the band's about to start, and right about then is when they start to kick in. And the very first note they play that rock and roll A chord. As soon as they hit that thing, it just about blew the top of my head off. And I just freaked out, freaked out and got up and uh, walked out. And I spent the entire night sitting in a van. <laughs> I could not go back in. I couldn't do it. So people would come out, are you all right? Now, I was that guy sitting in the corner who was having a bad trip and, uh, it wasn't for spiritual reasons. I was just having a terrible time, and I regretted it. And, uh, you know, there's 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 nothing to be learned other than do this in the right setting, perhaps, and uh, might be out. You know, I, I think I'd do a lot better in nature where I'm staring out at the, at the ocean waves versus a rock band smashing my face against, the, uh, against my consciousness and my perceptions through heavy rock and roll, which... I might add, is the best damn thing in the world. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, that, that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about. You know, it's everybody says, what is Orange Sneakers Presents about? Uh, I don't know yet, but I think it's going to be about mirth, uh, maybe about music, not maybe, definitely about music. I love music, and I think it has all kinds of great ways to set moods, and I'm hoping to talk about music uh, in treating Alzheimer's patients uh, or at least providing some form of comfort to them. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I'm, I'm starting to wrap up here. I, I guess this is this this is not educational or it shouldn't be, but it's a, a regular guy who has done these things. I am at a place in my life where I'm able to talk about these things without suffering any kind of repercussions, uh, meaning from the job world or what have you. So uh, I plan on talking about them more, but that is going to wrap it up to, for, for my very first podcast. Uh, soon I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this thing. And I hope everybody uh, at least enjoyed listening, and I hope I didn't speak in too many non-sequiturs. Uh, it's a, kind of a unique experience to talk into a microphone and record yourself. 
and it's torture for me at times uh, because yeah, we, we all hate our voice and it's hard to just ramble on into a microphone. Uh, I've got a statue of Johann Sebastian Bach on my on my uh, desk here, and so I'm talking to him as well, although he hasn't said a fucking thing yet back, which I'm pissed. He's so stoic. Um, that's it. Uh, please forgive all the ums and the likes, and I think I say the word seem a lot. Uh, I think I might have said hope a lot. But those are all windows into my into my consciousness, and I think if anybody crawled around in my own consciousness versus theirs, uh, they'd probably be quite frightened what they saw and uh, probably amazed at how banal it all is. But that's it. I'm going to be moving on. I hope you enjoyed listening, and I hope you will listen to other podcasts as they come up. And I thank you again. <laughs>